So I'm trying to picture, you know, as I'm up here preaching, I'm trying to picture, like, what if I'm just, what if I'm preaching to Jesus? And the Lord's like, no, that's not the right image. Don't picture Jesus sitting in one of these pews next to your people. That's incorrect. Picture me in each of your people. And see, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that you and I could live how Jesus would live if he were you. Not how Jesus lived. That's not the same thing. How Jesus would live if he were you. If he were in your shoes, with your job, with your family, with your responsibilities. Holy Spirit doesn't come to get you to live the life of Jesus of Nazareth, but to get you to live the life Jesus would live if he were in your shoes. And so my job is to somehow help fan into flames the Jesus who is really in you so that you fulfill the reason you were made. So that's my goal. And I'm going, you know what? It's kind of an advantage when there's a smaller crowd because I can go deeper with the ones who are here than I could if there were more here. You know what I mean? Sometimes we get that flipped because we're such social creatures that we're like, oh, there's not as many people here today. I'm sorry to bring this up and, and distract you, but I'm distracted by it, so I'm going to address it. and Maybe it'll help all of us. When the crowds are smaller, instead of being like, oh, we go, okay, I, we can go deeper today than we normally would have gone. Right? Like if, if you show up in a small club to see your favorite musician and there's only 15 people, you have access to them. You know, you can have an interaction you couldn't have as, as deeply otherwise. You're not a face in the crowd. You're like an actual person in the room. Okay. So how many of you, someone, let me, I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. So you have time to think while I'm up here rambling. What have been your notable experiences of 2023? If someone said, what did you learn this year? What did God teach you this year? What would be a highlight of 2023? Don't answer now. I'm going to set a timer. Don't answer now. Set a timer for 10 minutes. I just did. <laughs> Should I cancel mine and go with yours, Jonathan? Would that make you feel? <laughs> I'm hoping 10 seconds will not matter between friends, Carl. <laughs> so as I'm thinking about 2023 and moving into 2024, you know this, right? This is the time of the year that online, everyone's talking about new year, new you, and setting... Uh, goals for the new year, and most of the time it's, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. Last year we petered off around Exodus, but this year I'm really going to do it, and we start over in Genesis, and we have increased, yeah, this year I'm going to lose 20 pounds. We're going to go on a diet, and that diet lasts, you know, it's already done by tonight because you're <laughs> binging on Chex Mix and sweet drinks, and, and you know, you're, it's ruined by the, end, by the time you get over to your in-laws or wherever you're headed for for, you know, and diets don't work, as we all know. But I'm saying it's the time of the year when we're reflecting on last year, anticipating next year. And we're kind of, most of us have a little bit of time for reflection. And self-improvement starts to come front and center. Am I right? Even if you don't want to, and even if you're slightly annoyed that everyone seems to have agreed that this is the agenda, 
you still kind of do it because you're carried along with the idea of reflection and anticipation. And sometimes that's really hard because sometimes what happened last year includes some really, really big losses. Sometimes it was actually pretty good. And sometimes it was a year of massive growth. Sometimes it feels like maybe you went backwards. Sometimes how, you, how it, things went that year felt like they had almost nothing to do with your choice and everything that went wrong was out of your control. Are you with me? But my question is, since so much of what happens in life is out of your control, what is under your control? If you track your years and you say, this was a good season, this right here was a good patch, what was it about that that made it a good patch? I have a guess. My guess is in that season, it wasn't that things were going well externally. It wasn't that other people were behaving differently or finances were in order and things were just going well. My guess is that the time you look back on not just at a year, but the older you get, that time that you look back on and you go, that was the good stuff, was the time when you intentionally aligned yourself to God's presence. And that the more you aligned yourself to God's presence, you felt that you were succeeding in life, not just in your walk with God. It could have been a really hard season. But if you were intentional to fellowship with the Lord, with a clean conscience and sincerity, you look back on that as the good times, even though they were hard. So my guess is when we get to the end of our life, we will wish that we had been more intentional to cultivate that attitude towards the Holy Spirit, towards the presence of Jesus, towards our Father in the midst of every season whether the stuff outside of our control was going great or whether it felt like all hell had broken loose. Are you with me? So, yeah, I know. This is, this, this is the sermon that you anticipate getting from Tim every year. He's going to tell us to read our Bibles more and pray more. Well, no, not this year. I'm not going to tell you to read your Bible more. I'm not going to tell you to pray more. But, but I am going to invite us to reflect on what is that thing we're after. And how do, we go, how do we go after the thing we're actually here for? How are we doing on the time, on the time John? You deleted yours. Oh, he's a submissive soldier. Now mine says 523. Good. Let me read you a scripture. As Jesus and the disciples continued on the way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, it, doesn't it seem unfair to you 
that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't it awesome when people have the gift of hospitality? Yes. In fact, hospitality is one of the markers of a person being a righteous person. Hospitality runs through the whole Bible as a theme as a marker, an evidence of someone whose heart is aligned rightly with God. In the Old and the New Testament, hospitality is a virtue to be celebrated. Isn't it wonderful when people have the attitude of a servant? Service is Christ-like attitude, not how I show up and then they serve me, but Jesus even said the greatest in the kingdom is to be the servant of all. Martha had both of these traits and yet somehow had missed something. Imagine being on vacation and just being furious with your family and forgetting the whole point of the vacation. And why are you upset about your, at your family on vacation? I don't know. You know. But I know this. It's stressful to be on vacation with a large group of people trying to arrange activities, feed everyone, house everyone, clothe everyone, and get everyone to cooperate and have a good time, darn it. And, and the, the irony there is we're fighting with the people we're here to be with. The whole point of the vacation is what? To be together and enjoy each other. I'm here to enjoy you and you enjoy me and we share time together just being alive. And there we are fighting at each other. And Jesus is saying to Martha, that's what your life's like. Serving me and, and hosting me, you're carrying so many expectations and stresses, you're missing me, and she's not. And, and we, how many times have you heard this sermon preached where Martha's serving Jesus sandwiches he didn't order, and then upset that Mary's not helping? And if he wants something, who's actually going to be happily about getting it for him. Mary, obviously. And so this is not an anti-service passage. Pro-service, yay service, yay hospitality. What is this, what is this passage here to, to, to invite us into? Don't miss your life. Don't miss your life. Have you ever had those moments where the person in the room with you is not really here? Have you ever been that person? You're here, but you're not here. You're physically here, but you're mentally somewhere else. Okay, 
Jesus, for 30 years, how are we doing on time before you answer? I'll get, okay. 30 seconds before you tell me some stuff you learned from 2023. For 30 years, Jesus lived moment by moment in the fullness of the resource of the Father's love for him and presence with him, cooperating with the Father. Not doing ministry, just being a normal human in the love of the Father. That was what he did for 30 years. And then for three years, he helped teach others to do that. Okay. Thank you, Timer. What are your thoughts? What, what, have there been any highlights for you in 2023? Things you learned this year or things you think God taught you this year? All right, so I'm just going to summarize the things people shared. Jonathan Tharp said what he learned in 2023 was to persevere, to keep going and keep going after God in spite of losing his sister first and then his dad and then his grandpa Stan said he learned how to praise God, not just in the hard times, which is more natural for us, but he, but still takes a discipline, but also how to praise God in the good times as aggressively as we do after God's just delivered us from big, some big trial. And he also said he learned how to ask for help when he needs help. Gloria Matos, through her sister dying of cancer she learned compassion for other people who are hurting and suffering, and she also learned to let go of grudges in, in, in the view of the bigger picture. So suffering softened Gloria's heart, she feels. Cheyenne said that through her mom's stroke, she learned to cherish and to treasure the simple things she misses so much about mom, and she learned to forgive and let go of stuff she, she you know, again, perspective. Sue Chup said with the tornado that destroyed the house next to theirs and did damage and tore a bunch of trees down and all that stuff, she learned that God is, she saw that God was very, very good and all their needs were met. And the community's support was such a huge blessing. Carl even said, you know, their house has new siding and things have been painted and it's like their house is actually in a better state than it would have been without the tornado. Carolyn Biggs said she saw in 2023 the extravagance of God's provision. She said that not just her mom's needs were met, but her mom's wants were even met. And she named the price that it cost to care for her mom, which seemed extremely high. And her mom did not run out of money before she went to heaven. Huge, huge provision. Dawn feels that 2023 for her was about learning how to let go. And let the empty spaces stay empty and have let go of control mainly, not need to fill the empty spaces in her home and in her heart and life and time and schedule. Danielle talked about learning mercy and grace for others, but also learning mercy and grace for herself to treat herself with compassion. She also said she learned how to walk by faith and not by sight because you can't see how God's going to take care of you, but God takes care of you. And then she also learned a willingness, a new willingness to step out and obey even when she's afraid, even when she has to feel fear while she's doing it. And finally, Jen said she learned to trust God with the hard stuff. She said her marriage has been a blessing even though they got off to a rocky start and her mom's home going was an experience where she learned how to trust God is faithful 
God is faithful. And so Jen says, I can trust God with the hard stuff. That's what 2023 has been about. I can trust God with the hard stuff. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, none of your business. So uh, thank you so much for your sharing. All right, fine, fine. Okay, so if I were to track 2023 and look honestly at what worked and what didn't work, how many of you are able to see what didn't work? That there were times when you were more aligned with Jesus and there were times when you were like, "Uh uh-uh, I got distracted like Martha. Anyone? Okay, the four of you? Good, good. Okay, Mark's agreeing too. (laughs) It's like... I was marrying this moment, and poor Martha's in heaven going, hey, how did my name become symbolic of being distracted from Jesus just because I had a day? I had a bad day. Chill out. You didn't have a bad day, Tim? How come you're not remembered forever as having that one bad day? That's, uh, that's valid, Martha. Bless you in heaven. That's, not, that's annoying. That'd be like if we remembered Peter for that one time that he did the worst thing he ever did, you know, instead of for being an apostle of power and faith who helped plant the church and whatnot. But as I look at 2023, there's been some highlights for me. And the one highlight for me was the month and a half, two months that I, that I essentially said to myself, embrace boredom, do one thing at a time, and don't allow yourself to watch anything on your phone that is consumptive rather than creative. In other words, I was allowed to watch videos if they were related to a task I was trying to achieve but I was not allowed to watch videos to entertain myself. And what happened was I slept easier because I didn't go to bed and watch videos, trying to get myself to sleep gently with videos. I woke up in the morning and got right to what I am about, which is Jesus. Every day I do spend my my mornings with Jesus, try to spend the whole forenoon with him, reading and studying and praying and writing. I'm pretty consistent on that stuff. I'm pretty disciplined on some of that stuff. But there was a month or two where I said, if I'm washing dishes, I'm not washing dishes and listening to a podcast. I'm washing dishes and thinking. If I'm mowing, I'm not mowing and listening to a podcast. The one one thing I allowed myself to do more than one thing on was when I was running. Because I don't enjoy jogging and just hearing myself breathe heavily and thinking about how painful it is. (laughs) But other than that, for that period of time, I only allowed myself media that related to something I'm working on a problem I'm actively trying to solve or a task I'm actively doing. And I remember washing dishes for like two to three hours and Carrie coming in and saying, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? Because I didn't announce this to the world. I didn't say, hello world, I'm going to be on a, on a, a new thing where now that I've set out, I can tell everyone that I've set out. No, I was just going to quietly do it because I got convicted And what I got convicted of was a lack of contentment, a restlessness of soul that I was unwilling to sit with. I had to scratch that itch. I'm bored. Fill it with this. Fill it with that. Text someone. Call someone. Watch a video. Buy something. Instead of learning to sit with your discontentment and realize happiness is an inside job. Yeah? And that Jesus made us to commune with the Father. And, and anyway, so I'm, I don't mean to preach here, but th- that time that I embraced the boredom and did one thing at a time and, and refused any media consumption, but allowed myself media for creation, I look at that and I go, oh my word, there was fire on my prayer life. 
But if you had asked me, how does it feel? I would not have told you it felt like there was fire on my prayer life. I would have told you I feel more frustrated, maybe, uh, in some ways bored. But the whole house got transformed. I installed lights, and I, Carrie would, could give you a list. Carrie would say, we spent too much money on home improvement during the, that period of time. I did a lot, and I learned a lot, and I learned how to do electrical work, and I called Jacob on the phone, and I'm like, I don't understand why this light doesn't work. And he helped me solve wiring issues that I was bumping into, and I'm, yeah. So I look back on 2023, and I go, okay, one of the things that if, I, if we're going to run experiments and then look at the data and then make adjustments based on the data... Linda's talk the other week is on point for me. I admit freely there's a, there's a media addiction. And it's not, it's not a phone addiction. It's a, I would admit I'm addicted to scratching the boredom itch with something. And I think the Lord would say, hey, Tim, I, I would rather you sit with me in boredom and learn what's really going on, right? Like we talk about a dry, a dry drunk, is what Alcoholics Anonymous calls somebody who doesn't drink anymore, but they're still just as miserable as they were, which was why they started drinking in the first place. They haven't dealt with the underlying reasons they drink. A dry drunk, someone who's not doing okay, but they're keeping themselves from self-medicating with alcohol. They may be self, we may be self-medicating with whatever it is we do instead of alcohol. And for some of us, if we're Martha, we just keep working. Even for Jesus. I remember in college, there was a girl who the counselor, the school counselor said, you have a religious addiction. I'd prefer if you not pray so much. And she said, what is wrong with you? You, should, you know, you're kind of tempted to say, get behind me, Satan. And he's like, well, no, you're not actually praying to commune with the Lord and, and let him inhabit you. You're praying to feel better through having him tickle your emotional soul. And, oh, I feel the Lord. <laughs> it's still self. It's still just addiction to an emotional rush. It's the same reason that drives some women or some men into toxic relationships where their anxiety is spooled up because you never know what kind of high conflict drama is going to happen. We're going to make love and then we're going to break up and then we're going to cheat on each other and we're going to never know how it's going and it's so exciting and I hate her and I love her and it's crazy. It's like, what about just be still and figure out why are you so driven for that? Like, in other words, everyone has different things we try to fill our soul with. And I, so I say that the other week I woke up with that dream where I got my hand on this dude's chest and I'm just telling him who God is to him. And then I wake up with that song. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us and a restless soul is searching. Right? There's a God-shaped hole in all of us and that's a void that only he can fill. But even we Christians are trying to fill that void with things other than God. And information about God, including studying the Bible and listening to sermons, is not the same as communing with the Father. And we can be 10 miles wide in the things of God and one inch deep. And it's the grace we've actually sat with and allowed to shape and form us so that we've become someone who is content and loves God in truth. That's what it is to be a disciple. Jesus spent 30 years living in the fullness of the Father's affection for him to where he didn't need anyone's approval so he could face the disapproval of people and not be deterred. If Jesus had gotten married, he would not have been expecting his wife to make him happy. 
because she's not my father. Right? He's not changing who he is based on what you want him to say because he's defined already and bound by the father. I have fullness in my father and so I can take the posture of a servant. And if she chooses to hate me and leave me and betray me, that still doesn't... I'm staying the same. And I'm not going to own that and lose my identity over it. Because I already know who I am. And in every other relationship, it's the same way. All right, I don't mean to get off on that. But this is my real talk. My real talk is Jesus had these resources in his walk with the Father that for 30 years he lived as an average person. Like I said, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you exactly as Jesus would in your life. He's not going to make you a carpenter. He's not going to make you the carpenter's son of Mary who lived in Nazareth and spoke Aramaic and went to synagogue and followed all the practices and rituals and rules of the Old Testament. He's not going to do that. He's going to live exactly as you are in your situation would if you loved God more than anything else. So that would be my two last, my things, 2023, two things that just kept coming back to me. Number one was that one month of, month and a half of only do one thing at a time and don't allow yourself consumptive waste to scratch the itch. But really let that pain, sit in that pain and that not okayness and let the Father be in, be in relationship and be honest with the Father about that not okay instead of filling it with substitutes. The second lesson is It just seems like over and over I keep coming back to I'm here to love God. I'm here to love God. I'm here to love God. I exist to love God. Not to get my needs met. To love God. To love God. And so I'm trying to figure out how to let Jesus teach me how to arrange my life in a way that I love God and I learn how to love God. And as I, I said this to Anthony Gaiman at, at his mom's funeral the other day, I said, Anthony, I think you and I share the same heart. We're jealous for Jesus. We want to see the church of Jesus get past this selfish version of Christianity that seems to be the American way. Well, I don't know about lukewarm as much as um, an immature Motive is what we almost appeal to. Come, get your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die. Come, get your marriage improved. Come, uh, feel better about yourself. Come, get your self-esteem fixed. It's like everything sounds right and everything's quoting Bible, but the motive we're appealing to is a motive that works if Satan's still on the throne of our heart, if selfishness is still the main goal. And what I'm interested in is not come to Jesus and get your marriage fixed. What I'm interested in is come to Jesus and learn how to love the Father. And along the way, your marriage is probably going to be transformed. At least your part of it will be. We will forgive the people who have wronged us if loving God matters more to us than protecting ourselves from getting hurt. Because I've noticed with me, self-protection creeps in as my motive in my relationships. That is not Jesus' motive. If self-protection was his motive, he would have never picked me because I hurt him. I treat him about the same as the disciples treated him. 
I often misunderstand what he's about, right? Like, like for example, he's going through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, and they get offended that he's Jewish and he's going to Jerusalem because the Samaritans are also racist. And, and they say, you can't come through here. So his disciples say, shall we call down fire from heaven? That sounds like me. That sounds like what I would say. You know what I mean? I often want to fight God's battles in a way that God wouldn't fight them. And I often want to get in the flesh and fix problems that Jesus wouldn't fix that way. So that was my long-winded answer, Stan, to your question of like, what, what about me? What about me would be sit with the boredom and, and go deeper with God instead of just keep serving the Lord and just keep filling all your time and energy and space with more God stuff. You know, the things of God instead of God. Let me reread this to you one more time. Just so you know where this was, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and following. As Jesus and the disciples continued on the way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home and her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening. Listening prayer. Listening prayer. Listening prayer. Not just do, 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 and it's all for God. Be with and listen to. Be with and listen to. Commune with. It's not rocket science. It's not PhD. It's not deep, complicated theology. It's not, you don't have to be like me and read 400 pages in three days of theology books. Right? Because Jesus in me has a different job than Jesus in you. But all of us, all of us, sit with the Lord, listen to the Lord. This is how Jesus lived. He was, he was aware of God's presence. There's three layers of, of, of depth in this. Number one is just to, be, to theologically know God is everywhere, therefore God's with me. That's doctrinal awareness of God's presence. Number two is to remember that God is present. That's better. And then number three is even better, and it's to align myself to God's presence. And I know for a fact that for 30 years, Jesus knew God was everywhere, remembered God was with him, and was presently aligning himself in every circumstance to God's presence. There's this game called, or this series of books called Where's Waldo? Do you know it? Where's Waldo? What's the point of the Where's Waldo books? Find Waldo. He's on every page. No matter how crazy the, the page looks, no matter how interesting the picture is, Waldo's somewhere in there. Jesus looked at every circumstance and said, the Father's here. Where is he? And how do I cooperate with what he's up to? That's the game Jesus was playing. In life, most of us feel clueless and stuck when we don't understand the rules. What what is expected of me? How do I win? How do I score points? And what are the rules? I'm serious. Too many options is overwhelming. And then we do nothing because we don't know what to do. So we come up with a game that we're trying to play. The accumulation of wealth, looking hotter than whatever, having the right cars, having the right connections, having the right shoes, listening to the right music, or whatever it is. And Jesus was playing Where's Waldo with the Father. That was his game. How many, of you, how many red cars did y'all pass or see on the way to church this morning? Do you know how many red cars? How many red vehicles? You are not paying attention, so you don't know. Anyone else remember seeing any red vehicles on the way to church? You think you might have seen two or three? What if I said, what if I paid you $50 for every red vehicle you found on your way to church next week? How many of you think you would be able to find some red vehicles? 
when the, when the payoff is high enough, when the payoff's high enough, you're going to start, no, you're going to start noticing things you never noticed before. And Jesus was, he had these deep convictions that the highest payoff in life, just like I said, when I look back on my life, the seasons that I consider good seasons are not seasons when good things are happening instead of bad. It's seasons when I'm aligned with God's presence, no matter what's going on. That ought to be incentive enough for me to start looking for the red car of what's the Holy Spirit up to here in this place. And like I said, he's not just in the room next to you guys. He's in you. Jesus is in you. And my job is to fan him into flame. How do I do that? By guilting you and shaming you? Probably not. Probably not. Probably by loving, loving you, affirming you, and maybe sometimes bringing a word of correction, but it's always in the context of fanning into flames something that I want to see improve. All right, that's enough preaching for me. Prayer team, you want to come up? As you're coming, do you guys have anything? What do you got, Stan? If anybody's dealing with stress, um, I want to pray for that and just to get, to get more love from the Father. Anything? Peace. 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 Yeah, if you are not at rest, kind of like what Stan's saying, but don't feel at rest and chaos and whatever, just peace. That's it. Go ahead and stand. Abba, we thank you as you walked with your son. Your son is teaching us to walk with you. Abba, as you walked with your son, your son is teaching us to walk with you. Abba, as you said in the story in Luke 15 to the older son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Surely, Jesus, that was, the story was told out of a conviction that your Father's always with you and everything the Father has belongs to Jesus. And that's the richness you're inviting us into. To not just have that doctrine and not just even remember, but to live in that reality. So we say, Jesus, we want to sit at your feet, listening to what you're saying, but we also want to walk with you listening to what you're saying. We also want to work with you listening to what you're saying. And we even want to lay down and sleep listening to what you're saying. I pray a guilt off you, a shame off of you in here. This is not a pep talk to try harder and do more. This is actually an invitation from the Father to receive more, to let go more, to release more, and to remember more. Not to do more, not to work harder, but to release and to remember and receive. We thank you for this year, 2023. We thank you. You've been with us. We can track your presence with us. You've been faithful to us, Jesus. You've been with us. Your Father has never abandoned us. God, you've been with us. You've walked with us when we were distracted. You were with us. When we were focused, you were with us. When we cried, you held us. When we laughed, you shared our joy. You've been faithful, God. Now we want to grow to love you back the way you love us. That's what we want. We bless you. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's people said, amen. God's good. God's good.